0: Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for the opportunity to come together again to look at your word, to peep into your word. We say thank you in the name of Jesus. Father, we ask that this Bible study you will speak to us, you will teach us in the name of jesus both the vessel the speaker the hearers all of us will be blessed together in jesus name thank you father in jesus name we pray
1: amen amen
0: amen Amen. so you're welcome to uh bible study this evening in the name of jesus today's topic is set your face like a flint and it's interesting that I this this title came to me as um I was watching the teaching I was watching the global communion service yesterday as that as that was rounding up he said he started to say um you know Isaiah 50 verse 7 our which is our confession our monthly our daily confession for this year and as you said read it it just that this topic just came to me this topic just came to me set your faith as a flint so i said all of that to say that we are going to start our reading of the bible today from the book of Isaiah chapter 50 i'll first read verse 7 And it says, For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. You know, you can correlate that with Psalm 121. You know, the popular psalm that all of us read, Psalm 121, from verse 1. It says, I will lift up my eyes to the heels from whence cometh my help. So you see, the first place we read spoke about setting our faces like a flint. And I want to start by saying that the many times, the, the principal angle of attack of Satan when a person is not saved is sin. So Satan uses sin uh, to keep people that are not yet saved and his thinking is always that as long as he can keep the individual sinning it can keep them from entering into and fulfilling the counsel of god for their lives and you know in the book of jeremiah chapter 5 from verse 22 jeremiah 5 from verse 22 He says, Do you not fear me, says the Lord? Will you not tremble at my presence, who have placed the sand as the bound of the sea, by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass beyond it? As though its waves tossed to and fro, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. But these people have a defiant and rebellious heart. They have revolted and departed. They do not say in their heart, Let us now fear the Lord our God, who gives rain, both the former and the latter, in its season. He reserves for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. And verse 25, where I'm going, says, Your iniquities have turned these things away, and your sins have withheld good from you. So, Satan knows this scripture very well. You know, Satan knows the Bible very well. Unfortunately, sometimes he knows the Bible than many believers. So, knowing this scripture, Satan knows that as long as he keeps an individual sinning, he can turn away good things from them. Because that verse, Jeremiah 5.25 says, Your iniquities have turned these things away. Which things? The things that the Lord has appointed. The former rain, the latter rain." So that is what Satan does for someone that is not saved. But now, for someone that is saved, that tactics might not always work, especially for someone who has a measure of a working of a, a relationship with the Lord. So at some point, a believer grows past that level where he just keeps sinning and repenting and repenting every single day. So Satan, being the crafty being that he is tactics so what does he do and this is one of the greatest strengths of the devil and is the fact that he now starts to test the believer with several things until he finds one thing that that believer responds to in some cases it might be a sin that a temptation that the believer responds to it might be fear it might be doubt it might be weariness, it might be suffering, it might be a kind of discomfort, it might even be pain. And so he keeps trying to test the believer with all those things. And when he finally gets through, then he doubles down on his advantage. So he he starts to bring you different offers. That was what he did to the Lord Jesus Christ when he was tempting him. Brought him different offers to test which one the Lord will succumb to. And if the Lord had succumbed to anyone, he would have just pressed them his advantage. And that is what Satan does to many believers. He will test you with money when he says that, okay, money doesn't bother you. He doesn't waste his time and keep tempting you with something that he clearly knows you have overcome. Then he brings something else and he says, okay, has he overcome this one? Okay, yeah, he has. Okay, let me test him with something else. And he keeps doing that, doing that, doing that until he alights at something that he realizes that, okay, this person is susceptible to this. You know, like if microbi- in microbiology, sorry, I'm hiding some science. Uh, you know, in microbiology, when you want to, you, there's something called uh, antibiotic susceptibility testing. The summary of that long English is that you have a plate of the antibiotic you, 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 you have a plate of the anti of the of the bacteria or whatever it is you are testing, and you have different antibiotics to it to see which one inhibits the growth of your bacteria, and that's what Satan does. It does it does um, susceptibility testing on children of God, offering you different ones. You know, in microbiology, you offer um, antibiotics. Whatever I aminoglycosides, mean, whatever cephalosporin, whatever it is you want to offer that should inhibit the growth of a bacteria, and so Satan also comes, tempts you with doubts, tempts you with fear, tempts you with weariness, tempts you with pain, tests you with discomfort, to see which one gets you through to you, and 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 for so for a mature believer one of the greatest tools that satan uses all of those things sin fear doubt tiredness weariness, discouragement all those things they are to an ultimate end and many times that end is called distraction Uh, so the reason why satan brings many many of these things to a mature believer when he knows i can't tempt you with you know the regular list of sins lying stealing covetousness and all these things then he starts to bring things your way that might give him a head that might give him an advantage over you and many times the goal of satan like i said when it comes to an unbeliever is seen to keep the person away from the clutches of god but for a growing mature growing maturing believer it is usually distraction for example if you look at the book of mark chapter 10 In Mark chapter 10 from verse 17 to 22, you have the story of the young rich man. And the the Bible says that the young man went to the Lord Jesus and was saying, Oh, Lord, Master, what should I do? And all that. And Master says, give all all your properties. You know, it says, Lord said, okay, follow the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Verse 20. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then verse 21. Then Jesus, look, Then Jesus looking at him, loved him. But notice that word he said, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and take up your cross and follow me so the lord was simply saying simply saying give away the things you have and the one thing that you are lacking which is your, which is to take your cross and follow me do that one and the bible says but he was sad at this word and went away sorrowfully for he had great possessions so when the lord jesus was going to distill that matter he distilled all those things to only one thing you know this was a man that had this was a man that achieved on multiple levels even multiple religious the lord said don't defraud your, don't defraud i don't do that don't commit adultery i don't don't commit murder i don't kill people don't i don't steal I have enough. Honour oh, your father and my mother. I, I bought my parents a house last week, and the Lord loved them. And then He said one thing you lack, and that was what broke the camel's back. Similarly, in 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 Luke chapter ten, from verse thirty-eight to 40, 42 you see a scenario where that's us. You know, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The Lord was was as Martha's house and martha was so concerned i want to feed the ah the lord you know you know you know our parents are usually concerned for for boys like oh uh, this is my son that has gone to school he's probably been eating junk you know sometimes uh i you know they'll be like oh uh, he's probably been eating a lot of junk since he has gone to school but nice that is home let me try to feed him let me feed him and so you know as parents do that. Martha was trying to mommy the Lord Jesus in a sense. And she was saying, Ah, this, you know, it was the Lord Jesus and, and, and other grown men. And so she was thinking, Oh, this one's that probably been eating rubbish food all the while, buying food, buying food. Let me make them some proper home, home cooked, homemade meal. And then she started running around trying to, you know, kill chicken bake some nice food and all that but when that matter when 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 she saw that Mary was not even helping her she came and said why is Lord tell Mary to come and help me and the Lord said I should Mary come and help you Mary has chosen the good part that cannot be taken up from her the only one thing is needful and I want us to take note of that principle of only one thing is needful. Because what happens is that when Satan cannot get you to stop engaging in spiritual activities, when he sees that you are doing things that would put him in more trouble, that would that would take you further away from his influence, and he knows he, he can't stop you with sin or anything, the one thing that Satan always does, Is that he makes sure that he raises an altar that will compete with your spiritual altar so he raises something that starts to compete with what the program that God is running in your life you know John 10 10 the Bible says um, the thief the Lord Jesus called him the thief he comes to steal to kill and to destroy and there's a keyword bible says the thief comes only keyword only and that passage is the most accurate representation of the person of the devil only comes to steal to kill to destroy and the first point there is that you have none of us i don't think we've seen a thief that would target a place if he didn't think there was anything valuable so like i always say if the enemy is coming at you Take some comfort in the fact that he sees that your life is valuable even Satan does not Satan does not have unlimited resources so he is not even going to waste his limited resources on someone that is that he has nothing to reap from their lives nothing to gain from their life so the fact that Satan is coming at you from any angle is first an indication that your life has something valuable that is after well again The second thing about that verse is the fact that it is a very accurate description of the operations of the devil. And so no wonder that that description came from the Lord. And unfortunately, many believers don't understand what Satan wants to steal. So they spend their time protecting the wrong thing that people don't understand the actual aim the actual goal of the devil what exactly he is looking to steal and so they spend their time protecting the wrong thing and let me tell us now that what satan really wants to steal in the life of a serious christian is his time it is not money Is not your children or your spouse. It is not your job. It is not even your joy. What Satan wants from you ultimately is time. So it doesn't matter what Satan attacks. Always understand that the ultimate thing that Satan wants from you is your time. You know our lives are measured in seconds, in minutes, in hours. And so if Satan can create enough chaos around you that he gets you to focus and spend that time, your time, your seconds, your minutes, your hours, your days, your years, spend, if he can get you to spend all of that on something that does not enhance you spiritually, physically or in any way, in any aspect of your life, things that don't enhance your mind, things that don't enhance your spirit, things that don't keep your body in tip-top shape. If he can do that, he is stealing your time. One of the ways he steals people's time is that he makes people engage in practices that ultimately cut their life short. So someone that God has destined will get to hundred. They start to do things that will cut their life short. Or that even if they make it to 100, they make it to 100 struggling and all of this and all of that. So that is one of the major things that Satan does. He steals your, he, 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 he wants to steal time. And there are many ways he does. Even when he steals your joy, what he has done is that he, he has he now the time that you, you should spend rejoicing in the presence of God, now you spend it sorrowful. Now you spend it sad. It is still stealing from time that you could have spent on things that would ultimately advance your living experience as a child of God and as a representative of God on the earth. You know, there's this common saying that it takes an investment of about ten thousand hours to 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 for 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 mastery in a particular field, or a particular subject, or anything like that. That it takes you an investment of about roughly you have to spend ten thousand hours on that thing before you consider before you can be considered to have gained some sort of mastery in that area and let, let's use that statement um i don't know how completely accurate it is but let's just use it as an example for for today's bible study uh, you know ten thousand hours works out at about um about 14 months so let's let's use 14 months as as an illustration of what I'm trying to teach us you know let's assume that God you know God has decided let's assume that God has decided that when you have engaged with him in a certain way for 14 months. A particular kind of grace or a particular kind of anointing will rest upon you. That after you have engaged with him in a certain way for fourteen months, ten thousand hours, something special will come upon you. Let's let's just assume that God has decided like that, and and it is even though we are assuming because it is only God that knows. But this is an actual biblical principle. And maybe let me just establish that principle so it doesn't look like we are pulling things out of thing here. In Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapter 6, from verse 10, it says, And they cried, oh, let me start from verse 9, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, And for the testimony which they held and they cried out with a loud voice saying how long o lord holy and true until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth then a white robe was given to each of them and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who should be killed as they were was completed that is to say there is a certain number of people that god expects to be killed the same way these guys were killed and until that number is complete then certain things cannot be triggered in the realms of the spirit and the manifestation would which should be a manifestation of God avenging the people upon the earth until that number is triggered that will not. It, that whole scenario of, of, of God avenging his sins would not yet happen if you also look at Revelation chapter 8 from verse 3 and 4 it says then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne and the smoke of the incense with the prayer of the saints ascended before god from the angel's hand so prayer is is always mixed with incense and but you know the bible says that those prayers were they were upon the golden altar before the throne that means there had been deposits and deposits and deposits of prayer until he a start, got a certain quorum in the spirit, and the, and then the, and then he got triggered that the angel came mixed incense with it and offered it unto the, unto the Lord, and the smoke of the incense with the prayer ascended. Then the angel took the incense and filled it with fire upon the altar and threw it to the earth, and there was noise, thundering, lightnings, and earthquakes. Anyway, the point I, I read those passages to show that there are things in the in the Lord that until a quorum is filled. So you have been giving, 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 and you don't seem to be getting any result. Your, your, your measure is is being weighed. And when it is full, the scale is going to tip in your favor. You've been praying and praying and praying and, and fasting, and it looks like nothing has happened. Keep going. One day is coming. You will need, Your knees will hit the floor. You know, I've told the story of that servant of God before, that the Lord said to him that, ah, you don't spend enough time with me. He said, okay, Lord, I'm going to make you a deal. Every morning by four o'clock. We are going to have a chat so this servant of God in his living room he will, he will when it's four o'clock you will get up put two chairs you know it's a relationship so it's not it's a, sometimes you get up and you pray in the spirit and all that that is wonderful sometimes but what is more important is that before you start to do any of those spiritual activities you, you first peep into the mind of the Holy Ghost What would the Holy Ghost have you do? Sometimes all the Holy Ghost, even though you've woken up at 4 a.m., all the Holy Ghost would have you do is sing all day until daybreak. You sing and you go back to bed. Sometimes you pray in the spirit and go back to bed. Sometimes you sit down, you want to pray, the Holy Ghost wants to talk. And you will spend all that time writing instead of praying. So if if you just want to engage, guys, okay, I'm just going to pray in tongues alone. Sometimes it is not tongues that the Holy Ghost. all the tongues you have been praying, maybe that's the day the Holy Ghost has come with the download. But you keep insisting you want to pray in tongues, whereas the Holy Ghost has come to download onto you. So this servant of God will sit there every day by 4 a.m. He will sit on one chair, face the other chair, and he will be chatting. He will be talking, like talking to God, like, oh, God, you know, um this is what happened and also oh by the way i'm a i'm a the man was a, a, a bible school teacher not even he was a bible school teacher but he was a powerful bible school teacher so he would say, "Oh, my students today um i need to teach them this please help me and and he was such a wonderful bible teacher that uh bible study t- bible school teacher that sometimes when he's teaching the anointing falls while he's teaching the class, and all of the people in the class and himself are slain. There was even a time where all the people in his class were slain in the spirit. He was supposed to finish teaching so that another class would come in and another person would teach that new class. All of them, as they were getting to the door of the class, all of everybody was falling slain for hours. That was it was just a Bible school teacher, but that was how wonderful it a relationship we had with God. So he would sit in front of his chair every morning and just talk to God, talk to God, talk to God. And he, he did that for about one year until one day he brought out the two chairs. As he sat down and said, oh Lord, by the way, he had his front door open. Front door opened. Somebody came in. He was getting up to go and check who came into his house. For him, the Lord Jesus Christ opened his, his living room door. And said oh I've come let's continue our discussion so the Lord sat down he sat down and they started to talk but he did it until he got to, until he got to that threshold where he triggered a response from God so when believers pray one time and it didn't happen and walk the way we is sometimes is because we don't fully understand what you have done is that in in the spirit your jar that the angel, your measure that God has decided, like a jar, for example, when you pray the first day, the angel collected the prayers and deposited it in your jar and put it on the golden throne before God. And then you walked away and didn't pray that kind of prayer again for the next two months. Your jar is sitting there, but it's not full. So there's no you are not hearing back. Anyway. So I said all of that to establish that, yes, there is actually something like a quorum, like a measure that needs to be filled for certain things to be triggered in the spirit. Not everything comes just because God has mercy or just because God is gracious. There are things that you trigger by activity. Look at Cornelius. The Bible says that the angel got to him and said, oh, your, your arms, your prayers and your hands have come up to God as a memorial, as a remembrance. So he had been doing it and doing that until he did it and then he finally got to and then God sent an angel. So, we, we, whatever good you are doing, whatever spiritual activity God has laid on your spirit to keep doing, and he has given you the grace to do, keep doing it until there's a thundering from heaven. And the Lord bless us in Jesus' name. So, uh, let me go back to my matter of 14 months. So, la- now, let's say God said, okay, this guy would, I don't know, pray for uh, 30 minutes or 10 minutes every day for 14 months and if he can do that a certain grace will be unlocked and and handed to right? him and then let's say there's a person called person a he spent then person a spends an undistracted 14 months from let's say this february for example what that means is that by march 2023 next year that if he that grace will come upon him now let's imagine there's a person called person B. And that person B, he gets distracted and skips a few months. But he like he skips a few days, skips a few months and anyway, he shall manage manage that eventually he he got through his own quota by December 2023. So somebody got through theirs in March and the grace fell on them. Somebody got through theirs by December of that year and grace fell on them. Now imagine there's a person C. And that person decides to give God one month every year. And he's also still, and and according to the scale of heaven, that is he is supposed to give 14 months before he gets to that level. And he decides to give God one month. Every year it will do that, it will like you make it a new year resolution. Lord, this year I'm going to do this thing you have said, and it will start in January. By the by December 31, by December 31st, he runs out of steam and he forget about it until next crossover night. And hes like, oh lord, that thing you mentioned, and then it starts again, and then by December 31st he runs out of steam again, and he forget about it again, and then it comes again in crossover. If he keeps doing the is doing the angels are collecting when he's done it for 14 years his measure will be full but unfortunately by the by that time it is possible that what that grace was needed for the landscape would have changed but yet yeah, the point is he, 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 what the devil now does is that he tries to make sure that when he sees that he has doing a spiritual activity, he understands perfectly that if you do that activity for long, there will be a thundering and a response from heaven. So, he starts to find ways to distract you from that progress, that process that God is doing in your life. So, for example, he can say, okay, you can organize somebody to steal your car so that then he forces you to walk, to walk. And the whole point is that he just wants to make sure that when you come back in the evening, you are too ex- exhausted to pray. A, 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 a believer that doesn't fully understand might think oh, Satan has stolen my car just to stress me out. But the real reason he stole your car is so that he can steal your time of evening prayer, and as such, it can it can push into the future things that should happen. It could also want to take it up a notch, for example, and give you neighbors from hell. Or it gives you for a bus from hell, a bus that will make you do 70 hours per week. So that by the time you come back home, you are completely shattered. You want to say in Jesus' name, you don't even complete in Jesus' name before you pass out. And things like that. All of that, the aim is to steal your time. I know there's an interesting, interesting uh, conversation in, in Job chapter 1. Job is such a is such a wonderful book. If you can turn your Bibles, please turn it to Job chapter 1. From I'll read two verses, verses 8 and 9. It says, Then the Lord said to Satan, let me start from so for a bit of context, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, "From where do you come?" So Satan answered the Lord and said, "From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it." You know, many times people think of God and the devil having animosity. You know, you you have animosity with somebody that is your mate. You know. God and Satan are not mates. So there is no, it's not a matter of animosity. It's not a matter of, of beef. It's, it's that Satan, you have misbehaved. This is your judgment. Satan has accepted it and they have moved on. When the day will come to punish him, the punishment will land, the end. So it's not a matter of God and the devil angry. They would have to be mates to be fight. They are not myths So you know, God calls a meeting of the sons of God, all those ones that have been over universes and galaxies and all that. Like, I come love of you come and give report of how you've been administering, where I put you. Satan also can ah. and then God says, Mr. Man, where is your own jurisdiction oh, that you are here? So he said, Well, I'll be my own jurisdiction. Is the earth I've been walking to and through the earth from walking back and forth the original plan of God is that when God calls that meeting it will be Adam that will turn up But of course Adam had handed the earth to the devil so when God called the meeting of administrators Satan being the administrator of the earth had legal rights to turn up at the meeting and God couldn't say get out of here no he turned up and sat in the seat that had the name adam on it and so god bring the just and righteous god and uh, that he is Satan, you're welcome Well, you own the seat now they've given you what are we going to do about it nothing sit down my friend "Ah, what have you been up to Says i've been walking to and fro the earth uh, going back going to and fro on the earth and and from walking back and forth on it and then Lot. oh by the way verse eight have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns him Imagine, God was on that said, "There is not a single soul, there was not a single soul on the earth like Job." You know what that means? Not, not a single soul. That have you noticed, Job? That there's no one like him. Nine, verse nine. What did Satan say? Said, yeah, so Satan answered this and said, "Does Job fear you for nothing?" Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has? You have blessed the works of his hand, and possessions have increased, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and it will surely curse you to your face. So Satan's accusation was that God had put everything about Job in order. So of course, Job had time for God. Sheb is God that put everything that he has in order. So of course, Job had time for God. The question, how many people that maybe some of us even know people like that, how many people do you know that if this person was not caught up in different storms and different challenges on earth, they will serve God with the best, to the best of their ability. So according to Satan, the reason Job had God's time at all was because God had made sure that everything about Job was right. That was Satan's accusation. Of course, Job, Job doesn't fare you for nothing. You've made the edge around him. You've sorted out everything that concerns him. You've blessed his work. His potential are increased. He has peace of mind. He doesn't have any trouble. Of course, it will serve you. He has time. And, of course, and and so God said, okay, fine, behold, verse 12, and the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on him. So what God did was, God wanted to show the devil that his logic was flawed. That Job wasn't serving him only because of the things that the Lord had done for him. and as And, and to prove God right, by the time you get to Job chapter 13, verse 15, Job himself opened his mouth and said, Even though he slays me, yet will I trust. This was Job. Now, So Job was, okay, everything has been destroyed. Even at this time, he didn't even fully understand that it was the devil that was tormenting his life. But he said, even though he slays me, that was Job. At that that point, I'm sure God was telling the devil, Can you hear that? Can you hear that? Even if I slay him, even if I slay him, I will still, he will still trust me. That was where, that statement from Job was where God proved that the devil's logic was a fallacy. Yet, even though Satan lost that battle, he learned from it. He learned from that encounter. One thing he learned from that encounter was that although Job did not fail, not every believer is like Job. Because the Lord said, Have you considered my servant Job that there's nobody on this planet like him? That is to say, many, many, many people, if they were in Job's shoes, they would have failed. If they were in Job's shoes, they would have caused God and died. So devil felt, okay, well. Job is just one person. There's, there's only one Job and there's no one else like him. He would have gone back to the people in that generation and done the same thing he did to Job to them. And they, those ones would have caused God to his face and told God how wicked he was and all of that. So Satan learned. And uh, so he learned that he, if, if he if he if he would introduce enough up evil into people's lives, people will be shaken. And so it comes, intro, tries to introduce a lot of shaking into the lives of men in the hope that it would detract them from the, the one thing that is most important a relationship, a living and active relationship with God. That's why the book of Psalm 90, Psalm 90, verse 12, we quote that place every time teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. What does it mean? That word number, they teach us to number our days. The word number there means to reckon, it means to assign, it means to appoint, it means to count. So if if I would interpret that verse in my own Bible version that I may or may not write at some point, it says it means teach us to label and correctly categorize the happenings in our lives, the events in our lives, And our involvement in things that happen around us so that we see that those things so that we see those things for what they really are and we can interact with those things with spiritual intelligence I'll say it again what that verse means in my own personal Bible version is that it means that God should teach us to label and correctly categorize things that are happening in our day and the events in our lives and our involvement in things that happen around us so that we see those things for what they really are and we can interact with them with spiritual intelligence because in this season there are many things happening around us that are elaborate designs of hell to distract us from the things that really matter the devil is a, is a, a chess player It it would sacrifice all his pawns if that eventually means it captures your king and your king and your bishop and your everything. So many times the plan of the devil is is so elaborate that we we will need God to teach us to reckon. We will need God to teach us to assign things correctly. We will need God to teach us to count correctly so that we can interact with around us with spiritual intelligence. And now, we'll go back to Isaiah chapter 50, where all of this started from. Isaiah 50, I'll read from verse 4 now. It says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my head to hear the... As the linen. The Lord God has prospered my hair, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Verse 7 For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed so the antidote to not being ashamed is the fact that the man in this passage who should be us set his face like a flint so what is a flint we've heard it several times now I'm sure what is a flint the I'm going to show us two other passages where the word flint appears in the bible here is one it says I've set his face like a flint Another one is in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 15. You see something interesting there. It says, Who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, in which were fairy serpents and scorpions, and thirsty lands where there was no water? Who brought water for you out of the flinty rock? So in this case, a flint is a rock, And in this verse, that rock brought out water. Water is for purification. Water is for refreshing. Again, if you move to Deuteronomy 32, verse 13. You see another mention of the word flint there. It says, He made him ride in the heights of the earth, that he might eat the produce of the field. He made him draw only from the rock, and oil from the flinty rock. So in this case, oil came out of that same rock. Oil stands for the anointing, oil stands for empowerment, oil stands for provision. And then it is in First Corinthians chapter ten that we understand what that rock means. It says, and all drank the same spiritual drink. You know in Deuteronomy, in the, in, in they physically drank water from the rock. But now the Apostle Paul is telling us that it wasn't just ordinary water. As I mentioned that water stands for purification and refreshing, spiritual purification and refreshing. And oil stands for anointing, empowerment, and provision. It says, Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 for here that, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ and that rock was christ so when isaiah was talking of setting his face like a flint if you want to rewrite that isaiah 50 you will read it like this you will say for the lord my god will help me therefore i will not be disgraced therefore i have set my face like the rock the lord jesus christ and i know i will not be ashamed because the flint in this passage refers to a rock which is actually the Lord Jesus Christ. So the man was stone-faced, the man was totally determined, the man was resolute to stay with it. If you read that Isaiah 15 and 30, you'll see that it's the story of a man who, was, who, who stayed in constant communion with God. When God, God would teach him, God would t- tell him what to do. God will show him what to do. Verse 8 He say He is near who justifies me, who will contend with me. Let us stand together with my advice. Let him come near. Verse 9 Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they will grow old like a garment. The much will hit them. Verse 10 Who, obe- who among you face the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely. Upon his God. So you read that entire verse when you get home or later. You will see that that was the story of a man who was resolute. That even when they were plucking that verse 6 says they plucked his beard out, he gave his cheek over, let them pluck it. It didn't matter. His own biggest concern was not his looks. His own biggest concern was not his comfort. He says, I gave my back to them who struck me. But it didn't bother him because the one thing that bothered him was the God who woke him morning by morning, who awoke his ear so that he could learn, so that he could hear. And it was like the Lord Jesus. If you read Luke, let's actually read Luke chapter 9 as we begin to round up. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Luke 9 51 it says, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And to he it said, it's, The Bible says, The Lord just steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Nothing on this planet could distract the Lord from the singular goal of the cross and his ascension. So when it seems like you are putting out too many fires on too many fronts stop and check who is actually lighting those fires you know the the strategy that uh, the lord gave joshua against her that is in, in Joshua chapter 8 from verse 14 to 17 it was ambushment it was destruction they went after people of Ai with a smaller army whereas the larger army was hiding and the Bible says they, they, they pretended like they were running from the people of Ai. and the Bible says the people of Ai they ran after them there was nobody left in the city all of them chased after Joshua and the little army had with him, empty the city and when Joshua gave the sign the larger army invaded the city, raised up a great fire, and once those who saw the smoke, they turned back, and the people of Hai was they were caught in the middle. That is what the devil tries to implement in the lives of believers. He would he would put so many things that would keep you so busy, whereas the one thing that is actually actually needful, we start to neglect it. And as people of God and as servants of God, we must always be careful that we don't get so busy. In the book of Acts, when the church enlarged and enlarged and they had a problem, they, 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 there was murmuring because widows were being neglected in daily provision and all that. The apostles when they dealt with the matter, they chose deacons, the and one of their responses was that we will not leave the, the the study of the word of God and prayers and be serving tables they delegated that matter because satan raised that kind of murmuring so that apostle Peter will start running around like okay how do we feed this whereas their their job was not feeding people their job was the study of the word and prayers they needed to keep the fire burning and I found and they found people that could deal with the administration so we also must always consider carefully Is the devil trying to assault us by distracting us with too too many things. You know, in verse 11, in that um, Isaiah chapter 50 verse 11, the the man in question starts to now speak of people that have tried to sort things out their own way. And it says in verse 11, Look, all you will kindle a fire. Who encircle yourself with sparks? Walk in the light of the fire and in the sparks you have kindled. This you shall have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. When people... That is the definition. That is what happens when people engage in a rat race. They lie down in torment. Torment... They are tormented by their ultimate failures. They are tormented by their shortcomings. They are tormented by exhaustion. They are tormented by losses. So rather than go through that problem... God has made a way where we rest in Him and we believe Him and we let nothing get near our fellowship with God. You know, I've said it before. I say it jokingly, but I'm serious about it. If you go on a retreat and they say somebody died, tell them to keep the person until you come back because... If, in you quitting your retreat and running to the person is it not the God you abandoned at the retreats that, 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 that you need to show up for the person in question so rather than rush there as if you've got all the power in, in heaven and had to do something about it, why not stay with the man with the God that has the power to actually do something about it? you don't need, even need to get there so the question for us today is will we allow distractions or will we allow our quest for solutions there are many things pulling you on many sides would you allow your quest for solutions distract you from the god of all answers would we allow you know the pool of it can get overwhelming yes things can get overwhelming but I read the quote from is it uh, Martin Luther King or so I think so and and he basically said oh I have so much to do today that I'm going to pray for three hours normally he would pray for one hour and then get to his business he said today I have so much to do that I'm going to actually start by praying for three hours And I heard the testimony of a servant of God that he was driving. I think he was driving to to preach. You know, the U.S. is quite massive. So he was driving about eight hours to go and preach somewhere. And, you know, he was just talking to God. He was driving. He was speaking to God and all that and all that. Just, you know, fellowshipping with God. And then he got, I think it was uh, Jesse Duplantis. I think it was Jesse Duplantis. And he got there and realized it was three hours early. A journey that should have taken him eight hours took five not because he was over speeding but because in his conversation with God the Lord cut the journey short for him he miraculously did a an eight-hour journey in five three hours by then we got there and called I've gotten there that I like um, even if you were doing 160 miles an hour you still wouldn't get there in that short time yeah, well I, I'm here say hi to the people like they were shocked but you know it, so we we must not say because things are getting overwhelming there's so much we need to do that we start to cut down on our spiritual investment rather cut down on your sleep if you need to rather cut down on pleasure if you need to but never n- never let it be that it is your relationship with god that suffers loss. Because the world is pulling you left and right. Once the devil sees he can distract you enough, he will just keep piling distractions until the fire that God has kindled starts to wane. And the final verse I'm going to read today is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews 12, 2, in my favorite Bible translation, the Amplified Bible, the Classic Edition. It says, looking away from all that will distract to Jesus. So, looking away to Jesus, looking, taking your eyes off distractions and laying them on Jesus, who is the leader and the source of our faith, given the first incentive for our belief and is also its finisher that is bringing it to maturity and perfection. It says, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the sh- despising and ignoring the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So you see, the, even, the, even though there was shame, even though there was despising, even though there was painful cross, yet the Lord Jesus with a singular focus, focused... On the price that was set before him. There is a price that is set before us. There is the price of the presence and the glory. And the explosion of the grace of God through us for the world to see. But that must be what we focus God must be who we focus on. In spite of the cross. In spite of shame. So that eventually we are like the Lord Jesus Christ. Give, seated at the right hand of God. Giving a name that is above every other name. So this is the litmus test anytime you are in a situation you must always ask yourself does this situation enhance my faith or does it distract me from my faith and if the the answer to that question would always give you an idea of who is behind that matter and once you know who is behind that matter you can respond accordingly if it is the lord you draw closer to him if it is the devil you rebuke him and take authority over the situation and you will flee. And the Lord will bless us in Jesus' name. So wherever you have this evening, just bow down your heads. It's a private session between you and God. And just ask him for grace to recognize and to deal with distractions. Grace to recognize when it is just the devil trying to tie you down in, in a knot. Grace to recognize when the devil is trying to distract you from the price that the Lord has put before you. In the name of Jesus. If you're on Zoom, you can unmute your mic so we can hear you. In the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us. Holy Spirit, help us. Holy Spirit, help us. Holy Spirit, help us. In the name of Jesus. Help us to recognize distractions. Help us to recognize distractions. Help us to recognize when the devil is trying to... Put things upon us in the name of Jesus. Help us to recognize distractions in the name of Jesus. If you can pray in the Spirit for one minute, let's pray in the Spirit. RIPATO KA TELIGE DABA SEGE DEGILIGAMANASTE DELIA EMBRETOS KA BOPELA KA BRATOS KUBRANTAS KUBRANTAS KUBELETE GEBARASOSI ELA DELIA MARATOS KIPA KA BOSIABARATOS Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we have prayed. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Daddy, can you please pray for us as we finish today?
1: Father, we rejoice and we thank you for the entrance and the unfolding of your world, the red light. It gives understanding and discernment and comprehension to the simple. Therefore, Lord, I pray for all the listeners tonight that the light of God shine. Amen. And darkness cannot comprehend it in their lives Amen. and in their situations. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Not every demonic pressure, every tension, every distraction, every oppression of the power of darkness that the enemy might want to use or is using to hinder your people from serving you in peace, in joy, in Amen. harmony. Whatever the enemy is working we arrest them and we put them in chains of darkness and cast them out in the name of Jesus. Amen. To Amen. pronounce the blessings of God upon your people Amen. and the peace of God. The pastor standing in the name of Jesus. Lord, address all the pressures of life. Is it wants? Is it need? Is it situational circumstances? Is it destruction? Is it pressures? Is it... Whatever it is, we rebuke you, Satan, and we defeat you in the life of the people of God, hearing the word of the Lord tonight, and those who eventually hear it. In the name of Jesus, Amen. command peace be still, mm-hmm. and let the, peace and the joy and the peace of the Lord flow in your lives. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Examine so, God the world tonight and bless every one of us together. That have participated and we have drunk of the water of life tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, you Lord, Father,
0: And okay.
1: at the blessings upon your people this month Amen. shall be a month of pleasant surprises. Amen. But right. nature uh, natural situation. Amen. So, that everyone, we have a testimony. Amen. We would glorify. Amen. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So, name. We are
0: free. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, sir.
1: Amen. Good evening, everybody.
0: Good evening, sir. God bless you all,
1: Amen.
0: Amen. Love you. Love you. Love you. Good night, all. Love you,
1: sir.